Good day, everyone. You're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 177, Deep Diving into History. I'm your host, Alex, and today I have the honor to have Rob as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. Thanks for having me, Alex. Well, the pleasure is all mine. I am, it's a weird thing saying this, but I've always been interested in fossils ever since I was a kid growing up. I wanted to be a paleontologist. So, you know what? This, this is a great hobby podcast that I like to talk about. Well, actually, I'm not going to talk about it. You're going to be talking about it. I'm just going to listen and ask the questions. <laughs> But you know, it's not about my interest in fossils, although they're very interesting. It's all about Rob's interest in fossils and to be specific, marine fossils. And But before we jump into that, I'm going to ask the cl- cliche, very cliche question of who is Rob? That, that's a deep question. Uh, Rob's a, he's a, he's a father. He's a naturalist. He's a, just an inquisitive individual uh, altogether. Sounds like me. See, we're into, and we have the same haircut too, so it's just a reflection of a interview. I'm interviewing myself right now. That's basically what's happening. And before we move on any further, if you have any social media links, websites, or projects, or anything else that you would love to share, so people can come show you some support. Sure. So I don't own these, but um, just a couple quick ones. Uh, there's an app called My Fossils, which is kind of a social paleontology app. Um, so there's both amateurs and professional paleontologists on there. Check that out. Uh, and as far as websites, probably the most active is the fossilforum.com. Um, they have thousands, if not tens of thousands of members at this point. So uh, very rich a conversation taking place there. Lots of wonderful people willing to, to help a, a newbie in the hobby. I mean, I feel like you have contributed a lot to that website and also gained a lot of information from that website. I'd, I'd say that's accurate. Uh, I've <laughs> probably gained more than I've contributed. <laughs> I do have questions about that site and how you participate in it, but there's got to be some sort of flow. I gotta, I can't jump the gun on this. So let's start at the beginning of time, the big before the Big Bang. Uh, it's kind of weird. Uh, let's say not before the Big Bang. Let's just talk about you. How did you actually get introduced to collecting marine fossils? Sure. So as, as uh, most little boys, I'm, I'm, and it sounds like you were as well, uh, I was I was very interested in dinosaurs and uh, being out here on the East Coast in the United States, not a ton of dinosaur material. So uh, the closest I could get was uh, a little bit younger fossils. And my uncle, Kenny, uh, he collected fossil shark teeth and whale bones and, and things like that back in the late 70s, early 80s. So he had a bucket essentially in his room all the time with with these these fossils that he collected. So I would go in there and pick them up, whether whether he he knew it or not, <laughs> and and just kind of uh, marvel at at um, at these shark teeth and and other fossils in the bucket, and and just you know let my imagination run wild. And you know that that's back in the the late 80s. I was I was probably doing that. So that's kind of where the, the interest uh, grew was. You know, from dinosaur books to, ooh, there, here's some real fossils I can get my hands on. Thanks, Uncle Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> now that Uncle Kenny noticed the bucket was getting smaller and smaller and the things inside. <laughs> I, I never took anything. I always put it back. Uh, so I was, I was good about that. But uh, I, I certainly did look at them often. Did he give you any fossils? He did. So my first, uh, my first fossil he gave me, um, and it was a, a, a megalodon shark tooth. Most people have probably heard of a, a megalodon, you know, probably the largest predatory shark that's ever lived. So he gave me the, the first tooth. It wasn't a huge tooth, maybe two inches, but uh, I certainly cherish that and, and still have it to this day. Oh, cool. And so wait, you still have it to this day. How do you store it or how do you preserve it? It's probably not in a bucket. 
<laughs> it is no longer in a bucket. And that, that as I got older, that was uh, that was kind of a point of contention. I said, you have to get these out of a bucket and, and out of the bags you have them in. So I, uh, I actually in, in my house have um, several drawers filled with fossils. And in those drawers are cases. Um, some people call them Riker mounts. They were originally uh, designed for, I believe, butterfly and other insect collecting to display the collection. Uh, but they do a good job of, at displaying a number of, of fossils that are similar, you know, size in, in a nice display without moving too much. So I have uh, a bunch of those in in my fossil room in the basement. So, I mean, it's uh, any collecting hobby. I, I think people take pride in, in how they're displaying it, how they're organizing it and so forth. Now, you said they're roughly around the same size. Are all your fossils the same size or do you have like different part of the bodies? Because the megalodon, you said you had the tooth. Do you have, let's say, a rib from one creature or um, the toe from another creature or anything like that? Absolutely. So uh, fossil collectors are pretty opportunistic. What you find is is what you keep. <laughs> so yeah, there's no toe bones or anything like that from a megalodon, but certainly have those from from other animals. So I know this is a marine fossil pod uh, podcast content today, but um, there are some terrestrial or land fossil sites on the East Coast as well. So you know you, you can find toe bones of giant ground sloths or woolly mammoths or, or, or so forth. So uh, in, in my collection, I have uh, fossils all the way down to you pretty much need a microscope to see them and up to vertebrae from a, a whale. Um, so, oh, wow. you know, bigger than a, a gallon milk jug. Okay. I have to ask about the microscope one. In my mind, it just went wild. I'm, I'm just thinking you went out into the, like the wilderness and brought a microscope, just looking at the ground to find that piece. Did you do that? Or did you like purchase it from somebody else? <laughs> I, I like the visual on that, but neither <laughs> of those actually. <laughs> um, so uh, a lot of times if, if you know, Hey, I'm not going to be able to get back out to this site to collect or it's, the weather's getting cold and, and I don't want to get back out to this site. Um, some fossil collectors and, and, paleontologists that do it for a living will bulk sample collect. So basically fill up a bucket or several uh, Ziploc bags full of just raw material, just raw dirt that's going to have fossils in it. And then you kind of uh, wash that down uh, through different size screens, let that dry out. And then it makes for uh, <laughs> it makes for a good hobby uh, while you're watching TV or a movie on the couch to be able to sort through that that tiny material that you collected bulk samples for. Okay, so we just established that if you are interested in marine fossil collecting, you have to have a bucket. This is the second time you mentioned a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it's a key to a bucket, no matter what. <laughs> C carry dirt in them. Don't put your fossil collection in them. <laughs> Duly noted. I'm taking notes. So for you, how did you act like this might be a little hard to explain, but how do you display your collection in your house? Because you said you had a fossil room, which I feel like there's like perfect lighting and it has a theme to it i appreciate your uh your confidence in me uh it's, it's <laughs> ever evolving <laughs> it's ever evolving uh situation here uh but in general i i'll display it in in one of two ways either um grouping uh the same type of fossils the same species together or uh more often i will keep all of the fossils from a particular location in in the same group that way you have kind of a representation of what we call the fauna from from that uh, fossil layer. And within this collection itself, did you ever do this, like, let's say a little objective for yourself to try to complete a full skeleton for one creature? 
So, so again, it's difficult with marine fossils in particular because there's a lot of movement. And then in the case of shark, um, shark teeth, <clears throat> they typically shed their teeth. Uh, you know, they have some shark species can go through 30,000 teeth in a lifetime. So typically during a feeding event or something like that, the shark might lose one or two or more teeth. Um, so those are disassociated from the body of the rest of the animal. Land animals, uh, when you collect for those like, you know, dinosaur fossils or the woolly mammoth or saber-toothed cat or something like that, those tend to, to stay together, uh, the grouping there of, of the bones and, and will be what's called articulated. So it might be laid out kind of in the same uh, configuration that the the animal skeleton actually was in when it died. Uh, so you don't find that as much with uh, marine fossils. Uh, oddly enough, whales and and things like that that uh, that don't shed teeth, like a shark or even an alligator or crocodile, uh, those are more often found together than say a shark or something. That that's extremely rare. You can. You can count on uh, just a couple hands on the east coast of the U.S. How many kind of full uh, what you might call a dentition? So the you know all the teeth in the mouth um, have been found from a, from a shark. Okay, let's let's play the hypothetical game. If you had the possibility to find any marine creature fossil, which one would you love to find and add it to your collection? Like the whole skeleton, probably not like a blue whale, for example. No. <laughs> a megalodon, just casually add that in your house. I may need another room. Yeah, you know, the obvious answer is a megalodon. Everybody wants to find <laughs> one of those. However, I, I think, you know, I'll, I'll go off script and say probably an animal that is yet to be described by science. So something mm. that's kind of the, the missing link uh, in evolution of, of whatever uh, lineage of, you know, line of the species um, that it is. So, you know, that could be a whale. The early whales all had teeth, so and large teeth. They competed with the the sharks back then. So um, finding something like that complete would be would be really miraculous. <laughs> you mentioned the keyword finding. So for you, what is your search process when acquiring new fossils? I guess it really depends on which type of site that you're at. So some sites are land sites, and you may be digging with a shovel or, or something like that. Some sites are on the beach. So, and some sites are in a creek in the woods or something like that. So it really depends. But generally, if you're at the beach looking along kind of the shoreline where you might see, you know, kind of gravel deposits and things like that, because once it's a fossil, the water doesn't care if it's a fossil or a regular rock, right? It's just going to kind of group like size and shape uh, material together. So uh, looking along the, the water line uh, where you see shells and rocks and things like that. Uh, at the beach, and then in um, different scenarios, oftentimes you kind of uh, dig into a layer and it's concentrated. It might be what, what we call a bone bed. So digging down to that bone bed and then really slowing down and taking your time once you're down to that layer to to move things without breaking them. So different search methods for for different scenarios, really. Okay. So when you are in that process of looking them or looking for them, what are some key elements you look for to determine the condition of a fossil as in something that has been brutally beaten up over time or something that has maybe been attacked by another creature or anything in that realm? Sure. So it, it comes down to which fossil layer you're in. Some were covered up, you know, uh, say a, a animal died and, and uh, there was a flood and it covered up uh, that animal with uh, silt and sediment and things like that, and and then it fossilized. Sometimes 
it does not get uncovered before you find it. And then sometimes at some point in history, it was uncovered and then redeposited. Um, so we call that a reworked layer. Uh, so if, it, if it's reworked, chances are the condition's going to be less. You know, it's, it's going to be lesser than if, it, if it's not reworked because it's had time to you know, get exposed again, roll around, get broken up, get worn. If it's a, a tooth of some sort, uh, the enamel on the outside of the tooth might not be shiny anymore, might, might be rubbed off and worn. So collecting in certain layers, fossil layers that are undisturbed uh, since that, that was laid down before it was a fossil, and then you finding it as the, as the first person, that's really the best way to go. So I'm guessing you in your collection, you have a fair share of some that have been rediscovered or re-exposed to the environment and some that, are, that haven't been exposed at all since they've been exposed in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah ex well, exactly. And, and it's kind of a, you know, it, it's a give and take. So typically the ones that were not exposed are not as concentrated. So you're going to find less in a cubic meter of dirt or something like that. Whereas the ones that have been exposed, they, they tend to get consolidated. So you find more quantity, but the quality is, is less than the other, the first scenario. It's one of those situations like, do you want this one or this one? One is easier to find, but not as good quality. One's harder to find. It might be in better quality, but it's not guaranteed. <laughs> and I, I can tell you this from, from, you know, being a newbie myself, you know, a uh, number of years ago, and then running into people that have just uh, embarked on their collecting career, you tend to start off wanting to find quantity. That is exciting. And then as, as you kind of progress through the hobby, you're like, well, I've already got a lot of those. I'd like to find one nice one of those, right? So quality becomes uh, and rarity becomes more of an interest than, than just quantity alone. Okay, so I have to ask you, what is the one fossil you have a huge quantity of? And what was the first one that came into that definition of yours of quality? Most any of the shark teeth, uh, it, it's not uncommon to find hundreds of shark teeth in a single trip. So I don't recall the first one. But any of the more common shark teeth, like um, at least here on the East Coast, snaggletooth shark, gray sharks, even makos and, and things like that, um, you can amass a large number of. And I don't recall the first, the very first one that was quality. I do remember finding uh, a mako uh, shark tooth early on that, that uh, was deformed. It had a uh, pathology to it. Um, kind of ripples in the in the enamel and that one sticks out to me as as kind of early on in the the collecting career if you will <laughs> that's pretty cool it's kind of like finding that rare one and then you want to just research it some more you want to figure out what could have caused it or like just genetics is interesting when it comes to creatures as well especially in fossils because you're expecting to find let's say let's go with the megalodon for a sec for a second you find a megalodon too you're like wow that's cool but if you find one that's kind of like whoa the way his dna or their dna worked made their tooth go that way, which is kind of interesting, which actually leads me to a following question for you. This is once again, pretty tough. Which of the following, sorry, which of your fossils from your collection do you value the most? That's an extreme, extremely difficult question. Um, I would say, <laughs> <laughs> I would say, you know, of course, there's the, the first uh, fossils that my kids found or my wife found, or even I found. Uh, but if I, if I narrowed it down to like, if I could only keep one fossil, you know, if, if I've kind of repositioned the question, if I could only keep one fossil, it would probably be, it's an ancestor to the megalodon shark called an auriculatus. Uh, so it's 35, 
40 million years old. And it's not a huge tooth. It's it's two and a half inches long. But it, I mean, it, it looks like it fell out of the shark's mouth yesterday. And it has that deformity, that pathology to it as well. So that's that's my favorite shark uh, to collect. And that's a, a particularly nice specimen. And I remember I was in a, uh, a limestone quarry in South Carolina uh, on a on a public hunt uh, when I found that. And every, everyone else was as excited as I was when I you know, stumbled on. I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. I'm a dad. I got to do this on your bucket list. See bucket, bringing that back yep. <laughs> on your bucket <laughs> list. Uh, which also would you like to find? I know it's kind of hard to say, oh, I'd like to find this and you might never find it, but what would be on the bucket list of fossils you would love to find? So I'm located um, just outside of Washington, DC, and uh, we have access to a place called the Calvert Cliffs. They're, they're kind of world famous at least in the fossil collecting community, right? Um, and it is, you know, about eight to 18 million years old, uh, the kind of the span of time here. And we have a shark um, called a serrated giant thresher. So I don't believe there's a giant thresher shark species swimming around today, but but previously there there was. And most of the teeth you find do not have serrations on them, like, you know, megalodon or a steak knife or something like that. But um, right before that shark died out and went extinct, it it uh, you know, that line developed serrations on its on its teeth. So you know, I know people have been collecting for decades that that haven't found one. So I, I think uh, just a perfect quality serrated giant thresher is pretty high up on on the bucket list. Now, for people who are listening, how big does a one of these creatures become usually because you said giant thresher it's like the whole title of that shark is just menacing <laughs> it just sounds so menacing <laughs> so yeah how big is that because you said it's related to the megalodon in a way and i'm thinking just as big or smaller no no it's it's kind of a distant cousin to the megalodon i would say and um the teeth get up to a little bit over two inches long and uh approximate rule of thumb um and they go back and forth uh science goes back and forth trying to to calculate it because we don't have we don't have the bodies of these animals we've got the teeth and and sometimes the the vertebrae from them but um typically you're looking at roughly 7 to 10 feet per inch of tooth so you can think 14 to to 20 feet long whereas you know megalodon got up to arguably 50 to 60 feet long so megalodon was much bigger um but uh, this giant serrated thresher was either less abundant or or maybe was an open ocean going shark and and didn't come near shore as much. So we find fewer of their teeth, but they're they're much rarer. You can find just off the top of my head, 5,000 megalodon teeth to every one serrated giant thresher tooth. So they're they're super rare. At the end of the day, both very damaging, the teeth. <laughs> <laughs> they do what they're meant to do. And so you said you're located in the east side of the U.S. Is there anywhere else around the world that you would love to go visit to find some more fossils? Because fossils are different depending on the climate in the region. So I, I would imagine you'd find different marine fossils around the world. There's never an end of, of places to go collecting around the world. So a couple top ones for me, well, in, in the United States would probably be uh, down in Florida. There's an area of Florida they call Bone Valley. And uh, if you just Google Bone Valley Megalodon, you can see how beautiful some of these teeth are. They they have white roots and every color of the rainbow uh, enamel. So you could have a white root with a, a green blade, you know, of the tooth, just really striking. But outside of the U.S., I would say, uh, and and you can't export these fossils any longer, but it'd still be cool to to find them. 
um, either Chile or Peru. Um, there's a Atacama Desert down there where they find fossil sharks and whales and, and a number of other things kind of weathering out of the desert as the, the wind shifts the sand around. So that, that would be really cool. Well, uh, you know what? Hopefully once the pandemic's done, you can go travel. Maybe that'll be your next trip. I don't know. Maybe it will. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. And, and so once again, I'm here to ask the most difficult questions that make you ponder on everything that you know. What would you say is the best part about collecting marine fossils? So I, I would say there's, uh, I've, I've got kind of two answers to that question, I think. Um, so there's the the selfish best part, you know, fossil collecting for most people that I've talked to almost serves as uh almost serves as therapy you get to get outside you get exercise you get to sometimes interact with people but when you're kind of in the search mode for fossils you're not focused on anything else you just kind of are in the zone so you know from a from a personal perspective that's probably it um and then externally i think it's it's really need to be part of a fossil community. I've got a number of really great lifelong friends now um, that I wouldn't have, have made outside of uh, collecting fossils. So, um, you know, they can call me up and make a trip out uh, to where I'm located and stay with me and I can do the same with them. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just a nice, nice community to be involved in. Okay. So this just popped up in my head. It's a weird comparison, but you know, when you go to a casino and you're at the slot machine, and you just got to keep going like, um, this next one's going to be the right one. It's going to be the right one. I'm going to get, it. I'm going to win. Does it ever happen to you when you're looking for marine fossils? You think like if you were to stop here, the next step you're going to take, you're going to find something amazing. So you just keep going. That happens every trip. <laughs> <laughs> one more, one more step on the beach, one more dig of the shovel, one more, yeah, I, you know, and then you just start kind of telling yourself, okay, the next tooth I find or the next fossil I find, I'll go ahead and pack it up and, and head home. <laughs> and, then, and then you find something good and, and then you convince yourself, I can't leave now, right? I'm on a <laughs> <So>, roll. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that happens, uh, that happens every time. But unlike going to the casino, you know, you're usually not spending uh, money to stay there any any longer you're just spending yeah. time <laughs> <laughs> now when you go on these adventures let's call them adventures because it's you're discovering things it's amazing so when you go on these adventures how long do they last and what kind of equipment do you bring along with you yep so um again i, I don't want to say you know it, it depends alex but you know, it, it is a, <laughs> kind of a, a wide spectrum so i personally have been fossil collecting for as little as a half an hour i just happen to pass a site that I'm like, well, I'm not in this area very often. I don't have much time. I'm going to put my boots on and jump down in the creek and see what I can find. So 30 minutes later, I'm climbing out of the creek, heading home. Um, my personal, I don't know you call it best or, or worst or whatever, but uh, was uh, 16 hours collecting straight. Uh, me and a, a buddy from college decided we were going to go on a, a marathon fossil collecting trip. So uh, we tapped out at, at 16 hours into it. And then to kind of address your second question with equipment really depends on where you're going. You know, a shovel is always a, a good thing to have. Depends on how you're collecting will determine what type of uh, shovel that you're going to take with you. Sometimes you, you screen for fossils. So bringing a, a nice uh, sifter uh, with the right size kind of holes in the sifter for the material you're looking for. And then don't overlook uh, water and other <laughs> other sustenance while you're out there because like i said you can get in the zone it could be pretty hot out there and, and next thing you know you look up and you're half dehydrated so that's probably the most important uh piece of equipment and supplies you can bring is something to eat and drink 
Now, I know this might sound ridiculous, but you said you would go out with your friend. You had this 16-hour adventure. Did you guys turn that into a little competition just for fun, saying who can find the most interesting fossil or who can find the first one first or, like, put a little challenge on it? We we didn't, and he's... um. He's more into fishing than than fossils, I would say. So I'm, I'm going to find more fossils than he he will typically. But then when we go fishing together, he's gonna you know, he's gonna blow me out of the water with what he's catching compared to what I'm catching. So uh, we we didn't get too competitive that that <laughs> night. We uh, really had to work together more so to to keep each other going. <laughs> it's the perfect balance. And now for you, what was your biggest challenge when you first started collecting marine fossils? So I would say my biggest challenge was knowledge. I didn't know many places to go collect. And what I did find at the places I did know about, I didn't know how to identify it. And this kind of predates really the rise of, of the internet into what we know it as today. Um, and all the publications have come out and, you know, identification um, books and, and things like that. So I'm, you know, I'm out on the beach and there's other people walking around finding stuff and I'm showing them what I've got. And I'm saying, oh, I found this type of shark and I found this type of that. And I was just getting some kind of uh, odd looks from them because <laughs> I had uh, <laughs> I had my identification all mixed up on what what everything was. So that was probably the, the biggest hurdle initially was just figuring out where to go and what was it that I was finding. And now with that in mind. What do you know now that you wish you knew back when you started that would have made things so much easier? I'd say documenting all of my finds really well, where where I found them. And again, that goes to advancements in technology. You know, since then, not everybody was running around with a smartphone in their hand. They weren't invented yet uh, that you could snap a, a quick picture with a you know geotag on it so you could go back later and go, oh, that's exactly where I was when I found that. Um, so I think taking better notes uh, to kind of maintain the scientific value of, of your finds. Um, if I could go back and, and do a better job of that, that's probably what I would do. And for now, what is your current latest challenge? I would say, quite frankly, time, just finding time to get out there and, and, and do it. I, I think a lot of people, and also listening to your podcast, you know, we, we listen to your podcast because hobbies are so interesting and, and many of us just don't have time to go out and uh, engage in in whatever we're passionate about. So finding more time would, would probably be my biggest challenge at, at this point. Watch you right after this episode. Like, you know what? I'm going out. It's like 2 a.m. I'm going out. I'm going to go find fossils. I don't care what time it is. <laughs> I, just, I beat I gotta, that 16 hour record, Alex. I was out 17 hours. <laughs> you got you to gotta stream that and then send it to me. And then I'll add it to the episode. Like, here's a little bonus clip of Rob finding fossils. Boom. <laughs> now, what would you say is the most stressful part about collecting marine fossils? it's it's kind of fun and stressful at the same time is is kind of the competition if you're out at a, a very well-known public site collecting fossils and you see three people in front of you and three people behind you on the beach you're thinking well they're picking up the stuff that i missed and they're picking up the stuff that i, I haven't gotten to yet so mm -hmm. that that could be stressful um so you you want everybody to do well have fun find something good but you just hope that they don't pick up something that you were you quote unquote meant to pick up that day, right? <laughs> so that's that's probably the most stressful part. <laughs> I've interviewed a guy who did surfing and he was saying that he doesn't necessarily reveal all the locations he goes to because if you reveal it, then too many people come, then it becomes overcrowded. Is it the same mindset when it comes to looking for fossils? 
100%. So the same with apparently surfing. Um, of course, you know, fishing, not everybody wants to give away their best fishing hole. Same thing with fossils. You know, once you're doing it for a while, most people will have one or two kind of well-known fossil collecting sites that they're willing to to mention to, to somebody just getting into it or or what have you. Because it it, it is, in a way, a zero-sum game. You know, on a beach, let's say, there's only a certain number of fossils that are going to be exposed on that beach in in a given tide or, you know, 24 hour cycle or something like that. So if you get 30 people out there compared to there's just three people out there, that's 10 times the collecting pressure on that that same resource for that day. So there is kind of a competitive nature um, and, and a bit of a secrecy um, in, in fossil collecting. And when it comes to that, like it becomes a huge community and more people do it. And I would imagine that there's this uh, do's and don'ts when it comes to collecting fossils. So what are some things you should do and things you should not do when you're collecting fossils? Sure. So the, a few obvious ones, again, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, a nature lover at, at heart. So, you know, don't leave anything out there that wasn't out there to begin with to, you know, take any trash with you at home. And some, some kind of other don'ts are... Yeah, fossil collecting can be dangerous depending on what scenario. So, you know, again, I live near what's called the Calvert Cliffs. And as you would imagine in the name, they they are a series of, of cliffs along the Chesapeake Bay. So they get up to over 100 feet tall um, and it's illegal to dig into the cliff for, for good reason. Uh, first of all, it's dangerous. Second of all, that's um, actually private property uh, that somebody owns that and it can kind of undermine and erode their property away and a lot of these houses were built years ago and are now close to the cliff edge so they don't want you kind of hastening the process of of that erosion and and the eventual fall of the house off the cliff <laughs> yeah that would not be a good thing different types of fossils that would be found <laughs> Now, you say these cliffs, are these places that you go often to, or do you like trying to find new places? And it's it's kind of like a two-part question. The following question to that is that for the places that you go back often, do you always find the same thing? Or has there been a time where you found like a new fossil that let's say two years ago, you have never found in that location? Yep. So yeah, the the places I frequent the most are closest to my house because if if I've got, you know, a couple hours to, to go collecting, that's the only uh, location I can get to and put in reasonable collecting time and get back home on time. Right. Um, so I do frequent those the most. And, uh, but I do try to line up one or two trips a year that are new locations. So you go to another state and collect or, or something along those lines. And then the second part of the question, at first, when you, you go to a new, new collecting site, you often find a lot of new things. But as you kind of amass a collection from that site specifically, just statistically, you're less likely to find something that you haven't found before. Now, that's not saying that you you can't. Again, that serrated giant thresher, I found one pretty worn one in my years of collecting here at Calvert Cliffs. So that's not to say the next time I go out, there won't be a beautiful, perfect one laying on the beach waiting for me after, you know, hundreds of trips out to the beach. So it's a... Uh, it is kind of an adventure like you and I actually describe it that way to my my young kids is that it's an adventure and kind of, you know, gets them thinking, you know, we're, we're Indiana Jones or something out here, you know, so um, it is an adventure each time you go. Now, growing up, I've always been interested in fossils. I wanted to be a paleontologist. 
Apparently that didn't work out, but it was something I was so interested in when I was a kid. So is it something that your kids are interested in? They're very interested in it. They're, they're interested in the outdoors altogether. It's kind of line of work that, that I'm in. So we, uh, we, we get outside as, as much as possible. And then I get to teach them, you know, these are what the snakes look like you shouldn't touch. And these are the ones that are harmless. And um, so they're, they're really big into, into fossil collecting. Um, in fact, my, my oldest uh, daughter, She's now six. She wanted for her birthday a dinosaur bone. So, nice. um, you know, the, the budget wouldn't support a, a big dinosaur bone. So, so we got her a dinosaur bone shard. Uh, but it was a it was pretty cool. It was from a, a triceratops, what they call the frill, kind of that shield that a triceratops has. It was found out in Montana, and it was uh, it was budget friendly, and she was tickled with it. So you know what? She has part of history which is perfect. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so yeah, they're, 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 they're committed. They're into it. I love that. I love that. Like you're sharing your passion and the kids are so into it as well. No, but you mentioned when you do go on your adventures, sometimes it's beaches and beaches are beside the ocean, hence a beach. So have you ever gone scuba diving to do some marine fossil searching? I have been snorkeling to do it, but not scuba diving. I'm not scuba certified. And most of the, the scuba work that people do that collect fossils it's what they call black water diving. So you hold, can hold your fan, hand a foot in front of your face and, and may not be able to see it. So that never intrigued me enough to, to send me down there. And, and um, you know, besides the, the, the alligators and the sharks and, and everything that you encounter, probably the, the biggest hazard that you'll encounter are actually like, depending on where you are, fallen trees under the water so you can get all tangled up in, you know, kind of a mass of a fallen tree, underwater trees and things like that. So kind of risk reward, I find enough uh, above the surface to, to keep me interested. Um, so I haven't, pardon the pun, but dove into, into <laughs> diving. So, <laughs> Well, you know what? In this case, you don't go for the fossils. Let the fossils come to you and wash up on the beach. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> and this is one of my favorite questions, but no, sorry. Actually, this is one of my favorite questions. What are some misconceptions about people who collect marine fossils? That's, that's a good question. And I would say... You know, I, I was kind of always viewed by my family and others as, oh, Rob collects fossils. Cool. Kind of wink, wink. You know, no, no one was into it. But 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 since the pandemic, it, it seems the kind of the, the table has turned and and uh, a lot of people that didn't care about it before are now interested in it. And it's kind of positioned me to like, oh, you've been doing this for a long time. What can you tell us about this? We're, we're really getting into this. So, you know, it was kind of a nerdy thing to do uh, pre-pandemic. But now it's uh, it's kind of a cool thing to do. Get you know people want to get outdoors, take their families outdoors, and and a lot of people have turned to to fossil collecting. So it remains to be seen how many people will, will stick with it long term. But I can I can tell you firsthand there's a a large influx of of people collecting now that weren't um, back in in 2019, 2018, and so forth. This might sound bad saying this, but the one good thing about the pandemic, I know that sentence sounds bad right off the bat, <laughs> is that people got to start new hobbies or pick up old hobbies, just get back into it and dis rediscover themselves and just have fun, which is weird. Absolutely. I know once again, the pandemic, <laughs> no context <laughs> should I ever say, yeah, the one good thing about the pandemic. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a glass half full silver lining type type of type of thought, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> half full. It's just that little little droplet at the top. Everything else about the pandemic is bad. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> now for you, what has marine fossil collecting taught you in life? Well, for sure, patience. 
you know, you're not guaranteed to, to go out and find your best fossil every time you go. In fact, that's not the case at all. So I think, um, just keeping at something for the long haul, um, it's really taught me that. And then as far as kind of, uh, knowledge collecting fossils touches so many other areas history geography biology you know a, a number of other areas so you know you get to learn you know anatomy and physiology of you know different animals and and things like that so it's it's not just learning about the fossils but there's a whole lot of attached knowledge outside of the fossils themselves that that you end up learning and you're just learning all more about history you just get to learn how creatures used to live what they did and we're all the same. We just want to survive. <laughs> Unfortunately, <right. laughs> they didn't survive, but <laughs> just you want to survive. And is this a hobby that you would like to present to the world or keep it more for yourself? I'd say somewhere in between. I'd like to present it to people that are really interested in it, that, um, you know, it's, it's going to kind of add to their life. You know, I, I think most people in any hobby are big believers in the fly by night hobbyists that, oh, I'll get into that for three months and then I'm moving on um, to something else. You know, it, but I would say it's you learn a lot and it's a uh, it's a great hobby to be in it. You know, it can cost as little or as much as, as you would like, unlike something like coin collecting or something like that, To you know. So it's 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 a pretty, pretty convenient hobby, accessible hobby to, to most everyone. And, and really, regardless of where you live, you know, within an hour, two hour drive of you, there's probably a pretty decent fossil collecting site. So it might not be marine fossils. It might be something else. But. Yeah, I would uh, I would encourage anyone with a passing interest to to look into it and go out and give it a shot. And for the people who are listening to this podcast a thousand years from now, maybe there's space fossils. (laughs) 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 Why not? Right. (laughs) And uh, do you have any word of advice for anybody who might be interested in this hobby? I would say, um, you know, probably take to take to the internet there's a just a ton of information out there available now and and the body of knowledge is always being added to and don't feel like you you know everybody else knows so much and you don't know anything you know there's there's people with on these websites and on the facebook pages and everything that are longtime phd paleontologists all the way to somebody that found their first fossil yesterday and everybody in between so i would go there and just start asking a few questions and Pretty quickly, you'll get directed into, you know, fossils in your area. Hey, check out this website or check out this Facebook page or, or, or what have you. And you can kind of hone in on, on what's accessible and pertinent to, to what you're interested in. And also keep in mind, all these people who are considered experts now started off knowing nothing. And it's just a learning process. That's what we do. We're humans. We learn. So you're absolutely right. And actually speaking about these, I guess, I don't know if it occurs often, but when you do go on these websites and people share their photos, um, um, I would doubt it. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I would say maybe it's not as common, but is, does it ever happen that some people put fake fossils up and try to pretend it's real ones? That does happen. So that's kind of a buyer beware situation. If, if, um, you know, acquire some knowledge before you acquire some expensive fossils is probably a good rule of thumb. <laughs> you want to know what you're looking for, know what uh, fossils are most often faked. So you're telling me a five foot megalodon tooth does not exist? It, it does not exist. <laughs> and I, I will say also more often, it's not a fake fossil, but it's a, a repaired or restored fossil. And somebody's trying to promote it as not repaired, not restored, just in perfect natural condition. So, you know, when it comes to the monetary value of the fossil, that that has a big impact on it if it's been repaired or not. 
much like any coins or stamps or anything else that you might collect. So yeah, kind of buyer beware there. And I would also say, you know, some people are maybe disingenuous of where they found a fossil or or when they found it. Um, you know, I, I think there are a, a few bad actors out there that may that may show a ton of fossils. And I went out yesterday for half an hour and I found all of this, you know, but by and large, that's not the majority of people in, in the hobby. That's, that's somebody looking for attention. Right. So. <laughs> no, I can, I can imagine that. And for some reason, remember I was talking about like the five foot megalon tooth and you said, it's not fake. And the first thing that popped up in my mind is like, somebody's just super glued a bunch of megalodon tooth to make it five feet. It's not <laughs> fake. It is five foot, but it's a bunch of megalodon tooth uh, super glued together. <laughs> yes, my mind goes in that direction. Absolutely. And uh, we talked about this at the beginning of the episode, but I'll represent it, represent it. I'll share it again at the end. Do you have any social media links, websites, or projects you're working on that you would love to share with the listeners? Nope. Just um, check out that My Fossil app in the fossil form dot com if uh if you're looking to get started or kind of contribute to a citizen science project those are, are good places to go i i don't have any ownership over them or, or anything i'm just kind of an active participant along with a bunch of other people there you go i'll put those down below so people can go check it out and learn more curiosity is your best tool and now to flip the tables you get to put me in the hot seat do you have any questions for me about collecting marine fossils I do. So you mentioned that you, when you were young, you had entertained becoming a paleontologist at some point in your life. Mm -hmm. How far down that path did you go? Did you ever find a, a fossil or go fossil collecting or, uh, or, or? A That's a good question. So how far, I'll answer your first question. How far did I go? Maybe until the third, fourth, fifth grade or so. Mm -hmm. And then I got distracted by everything else as a kid does apparently. Um, but I used to collect shark teeth and I loved having shark teeth. I had them, I had a megalodon tooth. I don't know if it was real or fake, but I had it. Uh, I would wear the necklace with the shark teeth as a kid. I loved that. And, uh, my favorite dinosaur was the Ankylosaurus. When it comes to searching, yeah, it wouldn't be as intense as going to a beach, but when, when you're a kid, you go to like a Creek and you look and I find like, uh, God, what were they called? They're like hard shells, but I forget what they were called. But I would find those everywhere. I'm like, oh, cool. We found a fossil and my friends and we'd keep it. And yeah, that, that was my curiosity. I love going out into nature, lifting up rocks. And the, the idea of finding a fossil was so cool. <laughs> As a kid, it was just so cool. Like, whoa, this is like mummified. This is frozen in time. Whoa, that, that's me. <laughs> it, it is. And the great thing there is, I mean, there's just literally trillions of fossils in the ground out there to be found. So there's plenty for everyone to find, you know, a fossil, at least. I guess another question for you is, you said you had megalodon teeth and some other shark teeth and um, those shell, uh, and I, I don't know exactly what what those were, were they ammonites or brachiopods or, or something like that, maybe, um, because I know that you've got some older material where, where you are up in Ontario. So what would be your dream fossil find would it be that ankylosaur or would it be something else yeah the back end of the ankylosaurus it's like the ankylosaur yeah. just the, the heavy part <laughs> as a kid imagine just me trying to drag that back home oh yeah i found this in the park casually <laughs> take like 17 kids to try to drag that back um i guess maybe a spike from the ankylosaur maybe yeah that that'd be kind of cool because it was my favorite dinosaur growing up so why not have a piece of it if I could? I don't know if, I can't remember if they are or not in North America. Probably not. But 
This is something that I would have to ask you if you know more about land fossils. If marine, if I were to go back to marine fossils, maybe one of those prehistoric whales before they became that lovable round blob. And back in the days, <laughs> they weren't as lovable and they were more menacing. <laughs> back when they all had teeth and pelvic bones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just wanted to rip everything in their eyesight. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty menacing. They they call uh, the the batch of ancient whales the f the first whales they call them archaeoceded whales. You know, kind of ancient tooth whales, uh, if if you will. So, yeah, that that'd be that'd be pretty cool find as well. I'm I'm not positive if they're if and where they're found in Canada, but um, certainly the the southeast. There's a number of locations here in the U.S. that that they can be found. And if uh, Jurassic Park, one of the new movies, taught me anything, is you do not want to mess with that. Even if you're a big predator on land, if you're near water, you're going to be screwed. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, an another one to check out uh, because you're into that is a, a mosasaur. They're kind of a giant marine reptile. And um, they find them out in Kansas and Texas and even New Jersey. But um, those are those are pretty menacing. But they, they were kind of contemporaries to dinosaurs. They were around during the Cretaceous. Uh, when dinosaurs were still around. So pretty cool. Okay, so I have another question that just popped up in my head. So you know how they say crocodiles, chickens, and all that have been the, the descendants of dinosaurs and marine dinosaurs. What creature alive today that you love the most that is kind of like related to a prehistoric dinosaur? So dinosaurs aren't my super area of expertise if if i have an area of expertise but you know they say kind of uh non-avian dinosaurs died out so they're they're kind of saying hey birds are direct descendants of of the avian line of dinosaurs but as far as something that was around alongside dinosaurs crocodiles have have actually changed very little overall so i've always been a fan of, of crocodiles and alligators and so forth and of course you know something like a Horseshoe crab hasn't changed really much at all for a long, long time, hundreds of millions of years. So, uh, but I, I would say as far as cute and cuddly, I'd go crocodile. <laughs> cute and cuddly. There, there's a word you want to mix with crocodile. <laughs> Just so huggable. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Rob, for coming on and just bringing out my inner love for fossils and prehistoric creatures as I did as a kid. You're very knowledgeable and I'm glad you just came on and shared all this information with me. So once again, thank you so much, Rob. Thank you for having me, Alex. It's been great. So if you guys want to learn more about Rob's interesting websites, you should go check them out. The links are down below so you can learn more. Maybe you'll cross Rob in and you guys can have an interaction, share some stories, share some fossils. And it's all there. There's a lot to share. People are very friendly. You might interact with some people who are trying to sell a five foot tall Megalodon to. That's me. That's me. I'm, I'm going to try to sell it. No, I'm kidding. I won't do that. Uh, but yeah, most people are there nice, as Rob said. But yeah, if you'd like to be on my podcast or have any questions at all, you can send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And of course, if you like the podcast and want to show some support, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Chartable, or not Chartable, Pod chaser there you go and if you want to show some more support i also have a patreon and i shall sell merchandise all that information is down below in the description so you guys can go check that out so once again rob thank you i cannot thank you enough for coming on thank you very much look forward to listening to future podcasts with you. so until the next episode make some time for your hobby take care <laughs> <laughs>